Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And together with Eva, we make up the Fully Yours podcast team. We're so excited that you joined us today because we are three friends who love getting together and talking about food and the sacred and what brings us together around the table. Today, we're delving into a handful of chapters from Mark Erex's thorough meditation on the history of water in the state of California. A former Los Angeles Times journalist, Eric's latest novel, The Dreamt Land, is relentless in its pursuit to richly examine the drought and flood in the state from varied viewpoints. His bio states that this book is, quote, being hailed by critics as one of the most important books ever written about the West, unquote, which I think is appropriate given that he frames his location in the writing of this book, at the end of California's most recent drought and on the brink of a new sort of climate change. So this is the first of our three book, Books and Bites Reading Club this season, in which we each choose a book that sheds greater light on our particular geographical regions where we find ourselves. So alongside our chats about books too, we have some snacks. Chloe, what did you decide to prep for today? Well, it was a process deciding um, that we have been in conversation about for the last week. We wanted to eat something reflective of the content of this book. And when you think about Californian agriculture and water, that left a very wide expanse of choices. So honestly, I was thinking most about water this week as I've been making a lot of bread. And bread bread making for me simply sings the role of water that we all know but that I know I can take for granted sometimes in other words when you have flour and yeast they're really fairly inert unless you add the life force of water Mm -hmm. but this book has also been having me think more deeply about our relationship to both fish and nuts too um in the one of the chapters that we read Eric's really spends a significant amount of Ages, journeying with salmon and smelt um, in the Delta area, examining this conundrum that was created by ships and the introduction of bass and loss of habitat for the fish, and then also the pumps that are moving water from the north down to the south of California, which has affects, affected the water pa- water's patterns. So all of these different dynamics that have been affecting the the livelihood and the existence of these important fish. And then at the same time, the heroic but really almost absurd efforts that certain groups are trying to do to undo the many doings of colonization and agricultural pursuits and economic expansion. So just really this, that's just one small story that he features um, that's so textured and shows uh, not really a clean-cut picture of Mm. of sort of the heroes and villains in in the water story, but really kind of these multiple interests at play at once and and the dynamics and impact that can have. He talks almost about this kind of godly ambition that the last several decades have revealed in which white settlers have tried to, 
he calls it, quote, move the rain or right the wrong of salt. And also kind of on the flip side of that, sort of these godly efforts of trying to rework and fix our own messes um, with fish as one example or dried up groundwater. Um, while we're also, on the other hand, continuing to build more and more orchards and housing developments. So <laughs> I know I didn't answer your question yet, Christy, but that's just <laughs> one snippet of how deep this book goes. That's just on the topic of fish. Um, right. Yes. Yeah, this book is so incredibly, I think textured is a really great word for it. Um, it it's so textured and so layered with its various components um, within the ecosystem, the mm -hmm. larger ecosystem of California. And that, that makes me think about how far we're willing to go to bend nature to our will. I mean, what what is our place in doing so? And, you know, it's funny, one of our friends, um, Mel, her and her husband just started a new podcast about uh, science. And mm. one of their questions was about GMOs. And there's both positive, uh, influential, really good things happening with GMOs and then there are also like really, really bad things that are happening with GMOs. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's two sides of the same coin. So how do we deal with this? And in this particular book, we're talking so much about water and how land has been moved to direct the water in certain ways. Um, and, and it makes me think that, you know, when, when one thing is changed within the ecosystem, it has a ripple effect all the way down. So um, the author shares a lot of stories about how, you know, one farm suddenly has plenty of water to irrigate their fields with, while a neighboring farm has absolutely nothing. And he talks about, you know, farmers having to move and leave everything behind because their wells have dried up. Like it's, it's so, so difficult to even picture this out on the east coast um i i don't know it's it's definitely given me a lot of insight into the california agricultural system so yeah i think that is the key word is ecosystem um because everything's tied up right so he doesn't just stop at when one farm has water and another doesn't he traces it back through um through the tunnelways, through the pumps, through the rivers, through the watersheds and and the the very mountain sources where this water is coming from or how it's being rerouted from the Colorado River, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and how, of course, when you redirect water from one way, um, which he really says has been done for thousands of them with certain uh, communities who were here before European settlers came, um, with irrigation, you know, it's something that, that humans have done in order to have mm -hmm. crops. Um, but when it's done on huge scale, it's going to really impact. Um, and I love kind of just that idea. Uh, he often describes California as sort of having this amnesia, like very much goes back to the history of this state as we know it like people were always coming here to pursue the dream right um with the gold rush and with hollywood and um there's sort of this certain ideal uh, kind of a land of plenty i think that 
that California is painted as and and which is certainly reflected in the population, which has really exploded. Um, but he talks about how even with kind of our patterns of drought and flood, um, he says, you know, this is actually ingrained in, in the natural history of California. This is how California is. It just is this land where um, so many different geographical um, uh, dynamics come into play and are, it's their meeting point. And he talks about, though, every time we have a drought, we're like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is the end of times. And then the drought ends and there's floods. And he kind of talks about it as this like secondary spectacle of like, oh, my gosh, we have so much. And then we just forget that we had a drought and we go on living and building and expanding more and more groves or, or housing developments. We kind of have this ceaseless... Um, ceaseless pursuit going on and so on one hand I found it sort of comforting that actually this is just part of the rhythm of California of this landscape to mm -hmm. have these extreme droughts um, and flooding periods and earthquakes like that's that's something that's kind of in its geographical nature and on the other hand he does talk about like but what happens when you layer on top of that climate change or what happens when the lake dries up, which is mm -hmm. happening. What happens when the groundwater actually runs out? Um, and if we continue to live like those things, um, just that there's there's an endless abundance, it is going to have consequences. Mm -hmm. But there's something to be said about gratitude and taking things for granted. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. The, in, in at the end of his book, he says, if nothing else, drought imposes sobriety. Scarcity demands restraint. It's kind of, it's uh, going back to a theme that we talk a lot about on this show, this idea, these extremes of, of um, scarcity and abundance and how sometimes, uh, I think in our current world, we, we, we live out of a place of scarcity sometimes, but he almost puts a different spin on scarcity, looking at it um, kind of like if you look at several religious traditions with a theme that we've talked about before with fasting and feasting. Mm. So looking at it more as a way to, um, to help us have roots and grow deeper and develop, but... Um, I guess giving more nuance to something that sometimes we pose as positive and negative. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, he features the story of a farmer, Kathy Hemley, um, who, who is her farm, which goes back generations, is on the banks of the Sacramento River. And she, she says it a really important way, too. Um, she said, but here is a real sense of home, and you don't give it up. You find a way to bend your dreams and ambitions to fit the land. And if you have to bend the land a little, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. But you and the land fit together. It's the dirt that gives mortality a meaning. That's on page 494 of his book. I think that's where, that's a different that's different. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's different yeah. because there's connection and relationship. And she's by no means saying, like, we shouldn't grow food or, um, you know, that I don't need to use the water anymore. She's not saying that. She has a very 
um, nuanced understanding and a very real understanding of growing food. But at the same time, there's a recognition that it's not just making the land fit us. It's not just about moving the rain. It's also about um, bending our own ambitions to also fit the land. And I think that's something where there seems like there's some disconnect in in the way that California is building and farming. No, I completely agree. So the way that Mark, the author, talks about this is that when we go too far, when we push it too far, he says the core function of the project, and he's talking about the water project, um, there are two major ones within California that have sort of joined forces, and those two are the Central Valley Project and the state water project Mm -hmm. but basically what he says is that the the core function of these water projects of moving the land the act of moving the rain that has turned us into god turns on itself god ties the hands of god and so when we go too far when we no longer partner with the land to create crops to to grow in the fields to maintain proper amounts of biodiversity, to turn over the land. I mean, these are all very, very important things that need to be done. And it's actually, it's biblical, right? We, we learn in Exodus, we learn in other parts of the Bible about allowing the land to rest, allowing the land every six years to have a Sabbath rest and rotating fields and rotating crops. This is all so very important. And yet, Mark, the author, talks about when that goes too far, this is what happens. This is the effect. We literally tie our own hands and we are not able to produce the crops that, that we need and the water gets redirected and you know we, we see much more severe droughts and much more severe flooding when that happens. So earlier you asked what... <laughs> what um, what snacks we have going on today um after lots of thought (laughs) I decided to make some almond milk in all of its uh glory um (laughs) (laughs) so something that he talks a little bit about is kind of these different phases of um of crops that have sort of dominated the landscape depending on the consumer trends or um you know whatever is is bringing in the most money for farmers at the time and something that we've certainly seen is a huge increase in demand for nuts over the last couple of years i think um you have sort of these messages and research coming out about the health benefits of nuts and then something that um that I'm very complicit in is is sort of when I switched from drinking mostly dairy milk to a more plant-based diet, um, I started to have uh, plant milks mm-hmm. or nut milks, um, thinking that it was a, a great solution and that I didn't have to kind of an, uh, maybe silver bullet to my some of my guilt right (laughs) about like being a human being and having to um you know being dependent on the the lives of other animals and Mm -hmm. and plants and so I thought oh this is sort of a harmless um a harmless way to still enjoy 
things that require milk. And um, I, you know, it's just as this book has pointed to over and over again, it's there's no really easy answer. Like, mm-hmm. yes, um, cows have a really big impact on the environment, and so do nut crops. And um, you can certainly go and look at the research and kind of compare numbers, but just it has been interesting sort of this phenomenon that he does describe in in California where um, it's almost not the gold rush but it's the rush after planting as many nut uh, nut trees that you can and one of them being almonds so I decided to kind of embrace that (laughs) that um, tough reality um, that is also you know, makes delicious almonds. And when I was out in Massachusetts, th- I came across Nutty Life. And um, that's right. Yes, it was started by um, by a a woman out in in Massachusetts who was noticing just that the quality of the nut milk that she was getting in the grocery stores actually was mostly water and added ingredients very little of the the nut itself and so she created um this really delicious line of almond and cashew and i think she has oat milk now um and i remember one time i ordered one of the bottles of of the almond milk and it was a chocolate peppermint flavor and it was Mm. so good Mm. and so I tried to um, recreate that today, and I added cocoa powder and a little bit of sweetener. Um, I used dates and maple syrup, but you could kind of mm. use whatever, and peppermint extract, and that's it. Um, wow. Yeah, and then if you chill it, it's really good for the holidays. I'm so jealous. <laughs> that sounds so good, but hey, she is in my area. You said nutty life. Yes, it looks like she might actually be located in Vermont now. Oh, okay. Well, I'll guess I, I guess I'll have to take a road trip. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What did you make, Christy? So I was I was doing some research because we were trying to decide, you know, okay, so we're located in California. This is our our context right now. And so we we recognized that we wanted to try and be regional in two places. So what I tried to figure out is um, the the theme of nuts certainly runs throughout this entire book. So what I did is I did a little bit of research and actually found this really cool article from 1970 from the New mm. York Times about growing nuts in New England. And so we'll link to that in the show notes as well. But what what I found is that actually several varieties of walnuts grow in New England. So what I did is I took some walnuts and it is the season for maple. So Mm -hmm. I put some maple in a pan um, with some cinnamon, some salt and some vanilla extract. And oh, my gosh, they are so good. (laughs) I, I just like melt in your mouth. So basically you put everything wow. in a saute pan. Um, I used a nonstick. Nonstick would probably be best because you're working with so much sugar. And then um, and then you just cook it for about three minutes over medium high heat. Mm. And what that'll do is sort of crystallize that sugar. And it's just, it, they just melt in your mouth. It's incredible. Christy, are you sending me some? Yes. <laughs> They're in the mail. <laughs> good. So good. Oh. 
Thank you so much for reading some of this book with me. I, For me, it was really helpful having grown up on the West Coast and having, you know, my family put buckets in the shower to help conserve some of the water yeah. when we were going through drought and having um, the air be filled with smoke last year with fires. You know, yeah. it's, um, I think water is such a, a presence and so important and as a teacher once reminded me like I I know so little about it um it was a teacher out on the farm a couple years back had us learn the name of the watershed we were near Mm. and I didn't even know you know I've never done that before for a place where I'm living and so this was really helpful to just paint the backdrop a little bit more and to have a little bit more understanding um and also just I really appreciated his efforts to show to show many different perspectives and sides and and there is no I think there's no right or wrong in this there's just um many needs and desires and working with the land where we are at now at this point with the history that we've had I totally hear you, Chloe, and I really appreciated this book as well because it provided me with a new sense of understanding of what's going on out in California and out on the West Coast. Um, I've only been to California once, and that was for a conference several years ago, and obviously with work trips, you rarely get to actually see the countryside. So I, I loved his writing style, and I loved how incredibly visual you could actually see the rolling hills and see what was happening um yeah his description of mount shasta kind of the Mm. source and the stories and really the prophecies of the yoku people who Mm. lived there and who continued to live there um as they saw as they saw these new settlers and colonizers come in and and really transform the landscape of water Mm. yeah I think ending on that note would be beautiful just talking about how the water is truly sacred um in a lot of ways the the first nations of the now United States um they really saw water as sacred and and as something to be respected and as something to be protected and so as we close this week, I think it's it's important just to remember that. Um. If I can um, just share a final uh, passage. This is actually coming from Rachel Held Evans, mm-hmm. who is a, a Christian writer and speaker. And so it's coming out of um, her own tradition and experience with water, but I think speaks to kind of the sacred sense of water um, for, for all of us. She says, We know, as our ancestors did, both the danger and necessity of water. Water knits us together in our mother's wombs, our ghost-like tissue inhaling and exhaling the embryonic fluid that grows our lungs and bones and brains. Water courses through our bodies and makes our planet blue. It is water that lifts cars like leaves when a tsunami rages to shore, water that in a moment can swallow a ship and in eons carve a canyon, water we trawl for like chimps for bugs with 
four bugs with billion-dollar equipment scavenging Mars. Water we drop on the bald heads of babies to name them children of God. Water we torture with and cry with. Water that carries the invisible diseases that will kill 4,000 children today. Water that, if warmed just a few degrees more, will come crashing in and around the earth and wash us all away. But just as water carried Moses to his destiny down the Nile, so water carried another baby from a woman's body into an expectant world. The spirit that once hovered over the waters had inhabited them. Now every drop is holy. Wow. That's from Searching for Sunday, pages four and five by Rachel Held Evans. So as we move into this time of the year which for some of us is just a time of closure and expectation for a new year for others it's a season of lights for some of us it's a time when we come together with family or we share meals together cook together um I just wish for all of you kind of a a remembrance of the sacredness of water that we still have with us today. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at FullyYoursPodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.